I'm looking right now at a Globe and Mail story that sort of leads off with a former health minister and former deputy prime minister, Anne McClellan, who chaired the task force that laid the framework for the legalization of cannabis in Canada. Nearly five years after Canada legalized recreational pot, she's still waiting for what she thought would happen after the end of Prohibition, testing the joints to see how safe they are. She had expected a flurry of analyses on the potential health effects of frequent cannabis consumption, according to this Globe story, as governments had promised to fund further study. But none of that research has happened, and so Canadians have no greater knowledge about what cannabis does to their bodies. Joining me now to discuss the issue is Jameson Burkow, a reporter for the Globe and Mail, who wrote that story I was just reading from. Jameson, welcome to the program. Nice to be with you, Ed. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. Uh, good, good. So, I mean, th- this is kind of interesting because I, I think, uh, you know, for years, I used to work in the alternative press at iWeekly. And so, uh, you know, in, in that sense, when we were banging the drum for legalization, one of the arguments was always like, first of all, we can know what's in the drugs. But secondly, once it's legal, we, can, we could do kind of widespread testing. We can gather more above-board information so that we know exactly what we're dealing with. I'm kind of surprised that that's not the case here. Absolutely. I mean, that was the part of the whole argument, right? That we could not only do the test. And by the way, we can still. We're just not. Uh, (laughs) You know, there's there's really nothing preventing us. And and that was one of the things that when I was putting the story together, I kind of had to, you know, uh, push through the the resistance because there's an assumption. Like I, I used to actually uh, run a cannabis industry newsletter, so I was I was deep in the weeds, if you will. I'm, there's mm-hmm. no way to avoid puns when you're talking about pot. <laughs> um, but um, they really had uh, expected that this would be done, and even you know when I was sort of focused on the industry. It was just this assumption, like, surely these, these tests have been done. Surely somebody has done them, and we're just not talking about them because the results are obvious. You know, it's a smoking anything is bad for you, and you should try not to smoke whatever it is that you otherwise <laughs> want to smoke if you want to be healthy. And it's, you know, and, and that is broadly still true, but I think there was an assumption that we had the ability, if one were to ask, you know, for more specifics, like exactly how bad is it for you, that there would be some way to get answers and there just aren't, which is, you know, it took me a long time to kind of come to terms with the fact that that is true. So, I mean, the kind of tests we're talking about would measure sort of like the, the chemicals that are released in the emissions when you burn, you know, the drugs, as well as like the, the toxicity of those chemicals on our body. We, we just don't have the information on that. That's exactly right. Do you have, it's, it's, Sorry. Sorry. I, no, I was, I was just going to ask, do you have any sense of why we're not or, or not, you know, as you, as, as it's put in your story, why we're not at least incentivizing the private sector to conduct that kind of study? Uh, from what I've heard, it's one of those just sort of political hot potato things where there's this group of concerned scientists and medical professionals that have been, you know, holding these meetings with government officials of various levels, provincial and federal. And the response that they tend to get is, oh, geez, we haven't done this. We should probably do this. Go talk to that person. That person is the one who's going to get it going. And then, you know, they go talk to that person. That person sends them back there because everyone agrees something should be done about this. 
but no one wants to be the one to, you know, pick up the ball and run with it and actually do it. So that was actually how uh, Ken Weisbrod, he's a former pharmacist, actually ran Shoppers Drug Mart for a few years, uh, came to me with this story just, just out of pure frustration, <laughs> really, out of, you know, sort of uh, banging his head against the wall for, for over a year and not really getting anywhere. Uh, and an important point to stress on that, Ed, is that these concerned scientists and doctors, these are not prohibitionists by any measure. Right. They are not opponents to the cannabis industry. They are the opposite. They are the last people you would expect to say anything bad about legalization, which, you know, they're not doing. They're saying that this is part of why we wanted legalization. They're champions of legalization. They were the ones that, you know, were actually testifying before Parliament about why this was a good idea. Well, I I do wonder, like, if if part of the resistance is like after, now that we've legalized it, we don't want a bunch of damning headlines about how bad it is for you. I mean, I... I or, or if it's just uh, other institutional things you like you've been saying of you know buck passing, but it it does seem like I, you you cite us a study here where where ninety five percent of Canadian cannabis consumers, so that's almost everybody, yeah. say that Within tobacco errors, th- they perceive tobacco smoking as as carrying a, a risk, right? At least a moderate mm-hmm. risk, but only half believe that the same risks apply to smoking cannabis. And it, it would be interesting to know that because you, you have to wonder if it's a, a calculation people are making. I mean, s- certainly, like, heavy users are going to be heavy users. But I do think, like, people try to weigh risks when they're deciding what recre- recreational behaviors to engage in, but also maybe in which which ways they engage in them. If smoking uh, marijuana is much more dangerous than consuming an edible, some people might want to know that. Precisely. And, and that's the information that this group is trying to get out into the public consciousness, Ed, because really the the only real way you can explain a disparity that wide, 95% versus 50%, when right. you're talking about what is basically the same activity from a health perspective, is public education. The fact that we have, you know, for decades been reminding the public about the dangers and risks involved in smoking cigarettes, but, you know, there's there's eight different warnings that cannabis producers can choose from in terms of that they can, you know, slap on their products that in order to comply with the regulations, only one of them even mentions smoke. The rest are about, you know, and they're all, you know, perfectly good that we have these, right? You know, don't drive high. Um, cannabis is addictive, those sort of things that are, you know, mm-hmm. perfectly well and good. But, you know, producers are under no obligation to use the only one that even mentions <laughs> that smoke is harmful. So it, it, it really comes to this, you know, nexus of, uh, lack of motivation, you know, and, and Health Canada will keep pointing to that study you just referenced and saying like, well, you know, we did test it. We do have the results. And, and you know, I, I put the results in my story. But, you know, is <laughs> something funny. If you were to actually look at that study and see, OK, where is the cannabis that they got that they t- that they tested? And first of all, the study was published in 2007. So it's already, you know, 15 years. Right. But that study was the result of tests that were done in 2005 on a product that was produced by a company called Prairie Plant Systems. At the time, it was the only legal cannabis producer in May of 2004. So to sit there and say, you know, we tested this May 2004 crop of cannabis. So, you know, no need to look back at these 
pre-rolled joints <laughs> that have, you know, hash infused in the middle of them, rolled in keef and dipped in, you know, uh, concentrate butter. And I, I don't think I'm too far off, by the way, on mentioning a product that is legally available right now across the country, right. <laughs> you know, and saying, we don't have to test those, you know, because we tested something earlier. I mean, like, that's like saying you tested the alcohol content on beer so you don't have to test whiskey. Right, right. But but we do we do have testing standards for tobacco, right? Yeah, very specific ones. There's actually 14 tests that every tobacco product, every smokable tobacco product, I mean, I wouldn't mm-hmm. not sure what the tests involve for, you know, say vapes, but right. for cigarettes, there are 14 specific tests that are written into the Tobacco Act. Like they're actually part of federal law that these tests have to be done. And companies like Labstad, is a private company based in Kitchener, they were founded like 35 years ago on the basis of standardizing these tests. And really, they were sort of the, the forefront of what is now a North America-wide standard for how tobacco is tested. And they're one of the few places that could actually do the same tests for cannabis. But of course, you know, it's, they're not a charity and the tests aren't free. Right. So someone's got to pay. They're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart. Well, I'm sure that they would give a reasonable rate for the fact that it's a positive thing to do for society, but at the same time, scientists got to eat too. <laughs> right. Now, I, we, we only have about a minute left, but I mean, what would be what would be a reasonable next step here towards this? Because I think you and I certainly seem to agree with a lot of these industry experts that you're saying that it would be worthwhile to actually do these testing or require this testing and then make the results available, and then that that would help guide better choices. What's sort of step one towards getting that testing regimen in place uh, after all these years of not doing it? Well, there's a standards body, like an international standards body that develops testing standards for everything that gets tested from food to pharmaceuticals to, you know, tobacco. And and there's even some for cannabis. So Canada could engage with them. Wouldn't probably cost a lot of money because it's a nonprofit organization that's based in D.C., and establish the standards. And then I've been told that the costs of the actual tests are about a million bucks, which, yeah, a million bucks is a lot of money. It would buy you maybe, you know, half of a teardown in Toronto, but still, uh, it's, it's right. paltry in comparison to what has been genuinely billions at this point of dollars that federal and provincial governments have generated in taxing cannabis in licensing producers of cannabis and stores of cannabis. So, you know, asking for a million dollars to get a clearer picture of what cannabis actually does to Canadians in the proportion of all the money that's been generated so far doesn't seem like a big ask. Seems entirely reasonable. James Jameson Burkout, th- thanks for being here. He's a reporter for the Globe and Mail. Uh, and the story is is headlined online in the dark. Uh, you know, how safe is our cannabis? You can find it uh, on the Globe's website right now. Thanks for uh, talking us through it. My pleasure.